Joining us now from the CFL and TSN, our friend Marshall Ferguson. Marshall, we learned a couple of things. Both the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had some fight in them, even though they were so depleted. And Andrew Harris, you know, I was when he went to Toronto, I thought, well, this is probably just playing out the string. No, no, no. Can still move that ball. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's good to be on with you guys. I think Saskatchewan was, as you say, were really in a difficult spot. Like that was that was not fun to see their roster just getting picked apart. And after the travel of coming home from Nova Scotia, obviously that was difficult. And you were already going to be playing without Duke Williams because of the idiocy that he put on display in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. And so, yeah, it was. Uh, they were not in an easy. Figure it out. It's not. Unlike some of the things I think we've seen even without COVID or even without injuries or suspensions from Edmonton and Ottawa the last couple of years where it's like you just you get a bunch of guys in the room and you don't think they have a chance and it's fun to watch the professional athlete mentality of backs against the wall. Who cares? We've got four quarters. Let's go play and see what happens. So um, and in terms of Toronto, yeah, Andrew Harris, it was amazing, guys. I, I was looking back a couple of weeks ago trying to determine – you know, who's getting the highest percentage of run targets in the CFL? And I was specifically thinking about, you know, what is, what's the split between Peyton Logan and Kadeem Carey in Calgary? Right. You know, who's really leading that charge? Brady Oliveira, Johnny Augustine in Winnipeg. And then I was looking at Saskatchewan with Frankie Hickson and Jamal Morrow. And then I got to Toronto and they had run the ball 47 times. 43 of them were Andrew Harris. <laughs> it was like, that is a one man show. And they, you know, when they got him in free agency, Last year, they were running John White for a little while, and then, uh, you know, they had DJ Foster in there, and, and they were piecing it together. But you just knew with the mentality that that when they got Andrew Harris, that was going to be a one-horse backfield. And they drafted Daniel out of a bio at a Bryant University to be a good depth Canadian that they'll bring along. But, yeah, certainly this year it is his show, and he is still running with, with passion. Uh, as a former quarterback, Marshall, uh, give me a report card on Jake Dolagala. You know, I thought the accuracy wasn't bad. Uh, you know, a very typical, I would say, first start for a guy in the Canadian Football League where you're taking a, a lot of crossers and a lot of checkdowns and trying to be smart with the football, and you knew that your defense and your special teams were going to have to help you out no matter what. So uh, to be able to see him step in and not look out of place. I thought that that was, that was important because that's really what gave them hope. I think down the stretch aside from everything else. I mean, it was, I think we all know it was a wacky game, right guys? Like mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> as you're watching that, it was just like, yeah, okay. This is exactly the kind of thing where you might see a quarterback get his first start and first win. But I mean, I, I would still in, you know, direct comparison shopping. If you want to do that, I would say the debut of Jake Mayer, I think was more impressive. Um, and I would say that, you know, looking around at Trey Ford, it would probably, I mean, different style players clearly, but I think that Trey was probably a little bit more underwhelming sort of thing. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what he could become down the line, but I just don't know in Saskatchewan what their quarterbacking situation is going to look like long-term, honestly, at this point, because I think, you know, of, of what Dola Gallis showed, I'm just looking at, at the riders offensively and some of the numbers that I look at to try and guide me as to, okay, who is sustainably winning? Mm -hmm. Like who are, right. who are the, who are the teams that are actually, there's a lot of, of smoke screens most years, but really this year where the East just looks absolutely embarrassing. And then you go through the numbers and you piece some of the stuff together and you're like, man, the wins and losses are really not telling the full story on this. And Saskatchewan was one that as I go through, I'm like, 
they've been able with Cody Fajardo this year to survive in advance, for lack of a better term, on completions of 20 yards plus. That was a concern for them at the end of last year. But it's come in big chunks in certain games and completely disappeared in other games. And basically, if they don't get the big shot plays and they don't run the ball effectively on first down, they don't win. And that just that makes me think that they're a little bit primed for a bit of an implosion where you end up getting, you know, losing three of five or six of eight or something like that down the stretch. Marshall Ferguson, CFL on TSN, joining us here on Low Tide and Jamison on TSN 1260. Uh, if I did not look at the final score and I just went to the play-by-play, pulled out things like time of possession and some other stuff, I'd go, wow, the Elks uh, might have won this game, and then you would see the Winnipeg, <laughs> in fact, prevailed. And you knew that Edmonton would have to be close to perfect in order to beat Winnipeg, but that wasn't the case. I was watching that game in Kingston, Ontario, mm-hmm. sitting on my parents' couch. Uh, I called the Thursday nighter Montreal-Ottawa last week, and then I drove back to Kingston, was hanging out with my dad and my nephews, and I'm sitting there in the first quarter as Sergio Castillo knocks through, I think, his second field goal. I think it's two or three or something like that in the first half. And and uh, <laughs> my dad's like, oh, they're staying in it. And I said, Dad, I don't care how bad Kolaros looks right now. You're not going to beat Winnipeg with field goals. Like, you're you're just not going to. And it's crazy that Zach can complete seven passes and win a football game. But – the crazy thing about that franchise in Winnipeg is that all is all the best. And that's a championship culture that they've been able to create. We've, Dave Naylor had the tweet the other day. We've never seen a run in the last 20 wins versus losses over essentially a two and a half year period. And, I just I was stunned that Edmonton was not able to get a little bit more productivity. Uh, I just looking at the number of literally scrimmage plays that they were able to take in that game. It was like somewhere in the 70s. It was like to go with the time of possession. It was like they had a lot of opportunities to touch the football. And uh, yeah, so that's that's disappointing. Certainly, if you're in Edmonton because you think you had a chance to make some noise and resurrect and end that thousand day losing streak at home and all the rest and hopefully get more fans out in the stands. But um, I mean, Taylor Cornelius, I will say this about him just because we always, you know, kind of bounce around on quarterbacks sure. that I, I look at, you know, Dola Gala and I look at some of these younger guys that I mentioned, like Jake Mayer. And a lot of the time you can really see the upside in them right away. Like it's obvious why they are in the league. I remember watching Dane Evans when he was the backup, backup, backup in Hamilton and thinking, man, that guy's got a live arm. When Taylor Cornelius came to the CFL and we got our first look at him last year, all I saw was a big six foot five dude. I didn't see a quarterback. And I know that sounds ridiculous to say because he played at Oklahoma State, but like I saw the frame. I didn't see the decision making. I didn't see accuracy. I didn't I and I just Last year, I absolutely killed that guy in my analysis because every time I would watch him put the ball in a bad spot or not help his receiver or make a frustrating read or look like he just had these big dopey feet that he couldn't move around the pocket and he wasn't setting his hips correctly to throws. And this year, he's been really impressive. Like, I don't know what he did in the offseason, but he made a couple of plays in that, that first win against Montreal where – I, I really had to go back and was watching right in front of my eyes this year. It's, it doesn't feel like the same player to me. And maybe that's the second year league or the confidence going up or whatnot. But 
you know, Trey Ford, I, in all honesty, Canadian bias on a quarterback, I'd love to see him playing. Mm-hmm. Nick Arbuckle, I think, deserves an opportunity to play in this league. But Taylor Cornelius, looking the way that he has through the couple of games he's played in, I have been immensely impressed with his progression. So would you rush Trey Ford back and get him back in as the starter, uh, Toot Sweet, or would you ride this uh, for a while? I think you ride this until Taylor Cornelius proves otherwise. Uh, and it, it goes back to something that I talked with Paul Lapolis about last week as we were getting ready for the Thursday night football game, which was a lot of people, when you make the trade for Nick Arbuckle, say, well, he's got to get in there as quickly as humanly possible. And, well, you know, Caleb Evans loses that game the previous Saturday against Hamilton, get them to 0-5. And, and Lapo told me, I'm not going to punish Caleb for the fact that we were 0-4 before he touched the field. It's not his fault. It's our football team's fault. We did not win football games. And the quarterback is always the one that takes the brunt of the, the punishment on these things. And so when people are screaming, ah, we're losing football games, put in Nick Arbuckle. It's like, well, yeah, it might give you an opportunity to win. But at the same time, you're not going to punish somebody for the games that they did not play in. And for me, like Taylor Cornelius is not to blame for anything that's, that's happened in Edmonton. The, the defense has been terrible. Like right from the very first game of the season, they could not stop the run. They couldn't follow running backs when they released to the flats. They didn't fill gaps properly. All the things that Chris Jones talked about in that first game against BC at the halftime interview with Farhan Lalji was like, it's, it's continued through a bunch of games. So I like Taylor Cornelius more and more every time I'm watching him now, which was the last thing I thought I would be saying in the year 2022. With that being said, Trey Ford, as soon as he is healthy, is the most dynamic athlete on the football field. You have to get him into the game as a package player. And then if in those package plays, he is absolutely dominating and showing you next-level athleticism where you say, we can't keep this guy off the field then you've got a difficult decision to make. But uh, usually in the long haul of a, of a season as well, Dave, you know this, quarterbacks, whether for better or worse, whether they're really high or really low, they level off. Like it's everything kind of returns to the mean at some point. And so you know, Cornelius isn't blowing anybody out of the water, but I think the leap in progress I've seen from him, I expect at some point he will regress a little bit back to what I saw last year. When that happens, I would predict that opens the door for Trey Ford when he is healthy. Marshall Ferguson with us here on TSN 1260, one of the voices of the CFL on TSN. I want to come back to your comment about the defense. Given Chris Jones' obvious skill and history as a defensive coordinator and a guy that really is very good, very effective at building CFL defenses, is that maybe one of the most surprising things? I mean, you knew it was a long to-do list, Marshall. This thing was taken right down to the ground, uh, this franchise. And so the rebuild was going to take time, but the fact that the defense isn't better quicker, does that surprise you? Yes. Uh, and the reason that I'm surprised by it is not that, you know, Chris Jones doesn't know what he's doing on defense. I agree with you. He does. What surprises me is he acquired Ed Ganey and Mac Henry and Dion Lacey. And, you know, he went out and got these guys that he knew from Saskatchewan that knew his system. And you lean typically on players that already understand the system to be able to disperse that information to everybody else. Then he goes out and gets a couple of defensive backs and uh, Jalen Collins and Tristan Deku from the Toronto Argonauts. We spent time with last year when he jumped in and was officially unofficially the defensive coordinator of the Toronto Argonauts. So you're looking at, there's at least five, six, seven guys in that defense, not players, but players that are on the roster that knew what they were signing up for, that understood the way that he coaches and, and get the scheme and the X's and O's 
and yet they still haven't really been able to figure it out. And the, I think the thing that really blows me away in this, I don't want people to take this as a slight of Chris Jones because it's not, but this is the honest truth when I watch the way that the roster changes. I have never seen somebody in professional football that treats a roster more like a high school coach. And I understand that people poke fun at the whole idea of like, hey, you know, Deron Carter back in the day, he was a receiver, and we're going to make him a defensive back. And then now Deron Carter's returning kicks, and he might be this, and he might be that, and they've got players. But like week to week, it feels like you're watching a high school team on the roster management side slot and then he's going to be a returner and then and it's just like okay yeah he wants athletes he wants multiple players that can do a variety of different things at different positions mm-hmm. that's a really good fun concept and when it clicks it can be really difficult to defend and it can be really tough to play offensive football against here's the problem when it doesn't click it looks like you're just taking receivers and putting them at field corner and saying well that's all we have this week and it gives off this weird impression when you're not having success of we don't know what to do with the roster. This guy's athletic throw him out there. Let's see what happens. And it's honestly the reason why when Trey Ford got drafted by Edmonton, we went to commercial and I turned to Dwayne Ford and I said, when we were off air, man, I hope that works out, Mm -hmm. but I just don't think Edmonton was the right place to go because I knew that it was going to be a quarterback filled room at that point, whether it was Beaudry or Cornelius or Arbuckle or on and on down the line with Loxley and the rest. And I was really concerned that he was going to be in a, in a spot where they were just going to say, you are athletic. You can do anything on the field. Congrats. You're the free safety. You're the field corner. Yeah. Uh, and we might get to that point where he does some of those things. I just, that's a great example of, I think, specificity in football. Most coaches in pro football do that for a reason. They want to get players that specifically know what they're doing and they can attack it. And on that defense in Edmonton, there's a whole lot of moving. You get any sort of continuity and communication when there's that many moving pieces consistently. I'm not giving you enough time to dive into this, but Hamilton's one and five. They've got a quarterback and a good one in Dane Evans. Ottawa doesn't have Jeremiah Mazzoli. Caleb Evans did some good stuff against Montreal, but they're 0 and 6. Uh, Paul Lapolis in trouble, but I, Orlando Steinauer is not, correct? Yeah, and I don't even think that Paul Lapolis is in trouble, to be honest with you. And I, I talked to some people after the game in Ottawa last Thursday where. I higher ups, whether it be in OSEG or around the Red Black staff, or even guys in Montreal, where we were talking, being like, "Oof, man, zero and six. It was like, "Yeah, but like they're good. Like, <laughs> like they're a good football team." And that's where I kind of laugh at the notion of wins and losses determine. Yes, your your store in Ottawa on game day, and they were talking about whether or not to go to the game. And the one guy said, "I don't know, man. The team sucks this year. They're playing terrible." And I literally stopped walking, turned around and said, have you guys actually watched the games? And because I was just walking past, I I heard him say that. And the guy goes, oh, no. And I'm like, well, you know, if you just want to judge people off wins and losses and not understand what they've been up against or, you know, one play here, one play there difference, then, uh, yeah, I think think you're going to see Ottawa carry through and trust this. If at the end of the year it feels like there's been no progress, then sure, he might be in trouble. But the East, I think the only coaching change you're going to see this year has already happened in Montreal. Marshall, always appreciate the time. Thank you. Great to catch up with you guys. Talk soon. All right. Marshall Ferguson, CFL on TSN. 
Marshall, great to have you here on the program. Did you or did you not use the word cheeky on your broadcast? And was that because we made a big deal of it last week? Uh, I was trying to incite the masses at a variety of points on Thursday night football. And most of the time, little insight here for anybody who listens to me call Red Blacks teams, which uh, apparently this year I'm the television voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks because I seem to only have Red Blacks teams on my schedule. Not, but... not, not a lot of wins on that schedule <laughs> so far. Yeah, I know. So we know I, who I to blame now. Yeah, I was going to say I haven't been uh, a great amount of help, I think, to them throughout this year. But uh, yeah, I did drop the cheeky and it was because Najee Murray, when he slid down on an early challenge on the deep hard catch, uh, may or may not have shown some skin on the back half as he was sliding across the ground trying to make a play. And I got home and I remembered it and I sent it uh, to my dad and I said, do you see what happened here? And he goes, got to be honest, have no idea what happened. I said, okay, very good. Then nobody across the country did either. So I was uh, I was trying to mix in the wordplay and have fun and just basically make Dwayne Ford laugh, and I'm not sure any of it worked. Well, a texter texted in. We were talking about the word cheeky when it came to, like, hockey and soccer, and we, we had a bit of a segment about it last week. And then somebody texted in today, hey, Marshall used cheeky on the broadcast. Maybe he was hey. listening to you guys earlier. So somebody heard it, Marshall. That's good it news. Was, uh, you, I wish it was a tribute to the drive on TSN 12. Yeah. I'll say that. Unfortunately, it was just some skin being shown. <laughs> um, you wrote a column that we're anxious to get to because you know what it's like in a home market um, mm-hmm. and how difficult it is when you start piling up the numbers, four wins in 36 games, lost 17 of 18 at home. They're 0-6 this year. Uh, it, it's not a positive environment all the time, but... CFL.ca Marshall Ferguson says the 0-6 Red Blacks might be close. So we're interested in this. Yeah, and I know that for a lot of people that call into your guys' post-game show and the, the larger discussion around the franchise's health as a whole, that there's impatience, and I totally get it. Like, the point of the column that I wrote, and basically to give people kind of like the, you know, behind the scenes on this, I told Christina Costabal from CFL.ca, she said, hey, do you want to write something this week? And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to not write anything until I call the game. And then whatever the storyline or however I feel afterwards, kind of the, you guys know how it is, the conversations that you have in the elevator or as you're crossing the field to exit TD plays. Like I wanted that to kind of be flowing the emotion into whatever I was going to write. So I had no plan on what that was going to be. The game ended. I ended up driving back to my parents' place in Kingston to visit with them for the night. I woke up and I went, okay, how am I feeling about the big picture in Ottawa because the only other column I could have written was what the hell were we doing in the final three minutes as we were all standing around and staring at each other and trying to figure out whether or not Mike Moore had an illegal tackle up high. So I decided to go the other route, which was how am I feeling about the big picture here? And what I really came away with was I've seen a lot of situations in professional sports that have bothered me in recent years. And the most recent of them being in Montreal, who ironically they were playing against on last Thursday night of impatience, short-sightedness, looking at results, which I understand it's a results-driven business, but results over process. And I have always believed in process, and I think a big part of that comes from playing football in university, specifically quarterback, where I knew that if I, whether I was the starter or the backup quarterback, I knew that if our process was sound, if we did the best that we could in our preparation, not dissimilar to AJ and I working to prepare for a broadcast, if we do absolutely everything that we can to get ready for that and we feel really good about it and we end up not having a great broadcast or the Red Blacks don't end up winning the game, you cannot find peace 
and mental clarity in results, you have to find them in your process and what you do day to day. And I know, again, because I've called so many Red Blacks games this year and I've been around and I've talked to people and I've talked to players and all the rest, the process is as sound as it has been in that franchise since maybe the creation of the franchise. And to people that are season ticket holders, and as you say, you've left the stadium 17 the last 18 times with a loss, that's not going to give you any peace because you're looking at it in wins and losses. Like I was in Whole Foods grabbing a coffee before the game last week, and I heard two people, as I say in the column, talking about whether or not to go to the game. And the, the one guy, I kind of edited the story for the sake of, you know, 700 words on CFL.ca, but the one guy said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. They're terrible. They're awful this year. And I turned and I actually said, have you actually watched the games? And the guy goes, well, no, I just, I, and I was like, so you just looked at the standings. He said, yeah, yeah, they haven't even won. They can't win a single game. I said, okay, good enough. It's like, if you want to judge a team based off just wins and losses in the first third of a CFL season, you're not going to understand the bigger picture. And I just, I look at the way specifically that they were producing with Masoli. That team was destined, I think, to have a better than 500 season, despite their start at 0-4 when he gets dinged in Saskatchewan. So I, I remember very specifically being the radio voice of the Thai Cats back in, I don't know, 2015, 2016, something like that. And I got to Edmonton for a Thai Cats Edmonton game. And I remember the broadcast television crew from TSN sitting down with myself and coach John Salavanis, who is my color analyst on Thai Cats radio. And we were having the discussion about not if, but when Mike O'Shea was going to get canned in Winnipeg. Like, I, everybody remembers that time. Well, how'd that turn out? Like, it, sometimes this takes some time and you have to trust, okay, let's get the right people in that fit our scheme, that we can build with over time, that we can develop a culture. They didn't have any of the free agency additions in 2021. They had a bad roster up and down because there weren't people that wanted to come to Ottawa for a variety of different reasons. You very clearly saw in 2022 in the spring, Sean Burke came over and in came the cavalry. And this is the first year that they're all together. So it's not going to be an immediate fix. And I, I just, as a general thesis, I believe in patience and allowing people that you pay to coach to allow them to coach and to develop the roster around what they believe. And Paul Apolise, I think, deserves that patience. Uh, although I know there's a lot of people that are very frustrated because they just look at the standards. What do you make of the people that bring up, you know, because we hear a lot from the people that bring up, you know, not just 0-6 this year with La Police, but 3-11 and mm-hmm. last year. Yes, I agree. The roster wasn't good enough for him. Um, but, you know, his time in Winnipeg, it's a decade ago, right? I mean, I, I think the, the package in terms of the arguments that people make against La Police is probably a little bit different than the arguments people would have made against O'Shea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fair. They're not the same conversation, right? Each of these are individual conversations that have unique aspects and variables and all of that. So, yeah, I totally agree with AJ. But I, I, I think the thing that frustrates me the most and the reason why, you know, I don't want this to sound defensive of, of Lapo. If he ends up getting canned because they're not winning football games, hey, man, it's pro football. That happens. Like, he'll move on, they'll move on, life happens. But there's so much about talking to him in preparation for games that, and again, I don't know if it's the ex-player in me or otherwise, but it connects to me. Like when I'm listening to him say, uh, this week I asked him about, well, you know, how quickly do you think you'll get Nick Arbuckle up to speed and Caleb Evans 
Um, you know, he played decently well, but, you know, what are you going to do at quarterback? And he said, I'm going to start Caleb, and I'm going to go with Caleb and trust that Caleb is ready. I don't think Nick's quite there yet. He's making his way towards being ready. But he said, I, for Caleb, like, I understand people put pressure on the quarterback position, and you say that you have to win games and, you know, oh, we're winless, and he's the quarterback, and therefore the guilt goes on him. And he said, I'm not going to bench Caleb Evans because he had nothing to do with the first four games that Jeremiah was playing in. So from the, the bigger picture view, he just has this ability to understand, I think, at a very, very high level, people and what actually matters and what doesn't matter and to isolate those things and separate them and then be able to make an honest assessment. Like his whole thing with Caleb was, if he's not winning football games for us within a week or two, and it's because it's on him because he can't spot the football where he needs to to give receivers an opportunity to make plays, then that's a totally different conversation. But he hasn't really shown us that he's going to put the ball in terrible places consistently. He's giving us an opportunity to win. And that's not saying they're not going to play Nick Arbuckle against the Argos on Sunday or, you know, we'll see how this week develops. But it's just like I hear him talk about people and how to handle them and how to build a roster and how uh, he can evolve the offense to work with different quarterbacks because the system is flexible enough to open it up for different parts of the offense to have success. And I just, I think he's a really good coach. Like that's really what this comes. Disappointed if it was a, a group in Ottawa that says, listen, Sean Burke is in. We are here to build this thing. We think we're making progress. Wins and losses don't show it right now, but we're going to flip a switch and try to find something better um, because I don't know if there's a lot better out there than Lapo, even though the old tag of he's not a winning coach. Like it's, again, you're playing the results, which in this business is fair, but I really do think that the way that he approaches people in that building, it's, it's going to not only serve Ottawa football well in the short term I think you'll see by the end of this season if they can bring things around get slowly back healthy down the stretch whatever I just think the organization as a whole is better for having that guy at the top leading the charge and being able to direct them because I think that he endears them and that also means they're going to get more free agents again guys like if you have Sean Burke who's a tremendous leader and, and recruiter essentially like if you're looking at a university aspect and you have La Police there, they might be scared of, well, you, know, you guys didn't win a lot of football games last year because it doesn't look like they're going to win a ton as it stands right now. And yet I'm looking at it and saying people that have their heads screwed on correctly around the CFL look at Ottawa and realize there are teams in this league that have wins that don't deserve them. And Ottawa is a team that deserves wins and doesn't have them. Football is crazy, man. Like the ball is shaped weird and sometimes you don't get the bounces that you need. But I genuinely think the long-term vision of this franchise is in a really healthy place. Glad to know you're talking about the Argos when you say teams that don't deserve uh, wins. Marshall <laughs> Ferguson joining us here on the drive of play-by-play for TSN and the CFL. Also writes for CFL.ca, wrote an article, why the 0-6 Red Blocks aren't as bad as you think. Um, so from your quarterback perspective, I want to talk to you about how difficult it is to not only be a head coach, but be an offensive coordinator at the same time. I think there have been people here that have, you know, had some issues with game management from Paul Apolis that it sometimes appears a little bit quick for him and he hasn't made the right decisions. But I also look around the league and Orlando Steinhauer has not done a very good job with that. Ryan Dinwiddie, I'm not sure could do it at all. Uh, 
there's lots of coaches that seem to have problems with this time management, game management stuff. How difficult is it to be an offensive coordinator, to kind of be in the play in the moment, also to be a head coach and to think two or three plays down the line? Yeah, it's a great question, Lee, because I think this is such an interesting topic in the modern CFL with the football operations salary cap, because you look around the league and it's like, is there a coach out there who is just a manager of people? And I I actually found this to be a really interesting conversation that stuck with me. Do you guys remember when Condoleezza Rice was mentioned as being a possibility as like the general manager or the head coach of the Cleveland Browns? And everybody lost their mind about it. And then it kind of made me look big picture at what that role requires. And I'm like, "Well, well, why wouldn't? you be able to have somebody who's untraditional. What is the actual role of the head coach? And this leads into the conversation I had with Danny Machocha last week before the game, where I felt like Machocha looked out of place on the sideline in that first game against against Edmonton for Montreal. And I asked him, okay, take away the X's and O's and whatever. Like, how did you feel being on the sidelines? Because I got this sense that he just didn't really know what to do. And sure enough, Machocha said, well, I was so used to being a play caller the majority of my career, offensive or defensive, or even when I was in Montreal, I was helping out specifically with different aspects of the offense. And then I was down there and he said, I would kind of walk over to Anthony Calvillo and be like, AC, hey, do you need anything? No, no, no. I'm just getting my second half and ready for the next drive. Okay. All right. I'll see you in a you know, couple of minutes. I'll wander back past. Uh, Noel Thorpe, can I help you at all? Like, is there anything? No, no, no. I'm good, Danny. I'm good. And it was like, so he basically spent the whole first game, he told me, wandering around the sidelines trying to figure out, all right, how do I use these challenges and these timeouts? And that was kind of it. Like, the game management stuff is kind of all that's required. So when people make the argument that Lapo doesn't need to be the head coach because he's the offensive coordinator and he can't juggle both, I got breaking news to you guys. The head coach in the CFL is essentially a an honorary position where you step in front of the microphones and you're the one who gives the pregame speech and then you handle challenges and timeouts. Like, other than that, that's the role of a head coach, in my opinion, in this league, which is why you have so many guys that are leading the offense or the defense at the same time. And I think a perfect encapsulation of this was looking at Lapple on the sideline, where it's a 14-point deficit against Montreal. They go down, they score, get the touchdown and the extra point. And we had a shot of Paul Apley standing on the sideline with his call sheet. And I, I know this because John Behe, that was my offensive coordinator at McMaster University, used to do this all the time. He'd pop the Sharpie out of his mouth, he'd look down at his laminated play sheet, and he would start putting dots next to play calls that he had already used. He'd start circling plays that he wanted to get to on the next drive. He'd put a star next to the play that he absolutely had to get to. He'd put a, like, whatever the, the symbol was, he just started going, okay, this is going to be here. And then he starts organizing his thoughts so that when the next drive starts, he can just go crazy. The great advantage of this is that Mike Benavides, your defensive coordinator, for lack of a better term, he can handle his own bleep. Like Bob Dice can handle his own bleep. Those guys do not need you to babysit them. They're not young in experience. Like this is the whole big picture in Ottawa for me is the staff, the coordinators you've built out. You got three guys that could be head coaches. So everybody's handling their third of the game, and Lapo just gets to be the one who steps to the podium and handles the challenges and the timeouts. But he's doing all the work of an offensive coordinator while the defense is on the field. Why? Well, because Mike Benavides, if he needs a timeout, is going to come down and say, hey, can we use a timeout here? And that's the communication that they have. But meanwhile, he was getting them ready for the drive to finish, which was a tremendous drive, had all the momentum in the world, until you ran into command center, replay official, stop the game, slow grinding, and then the, where your second-year quarterback 
is standing by himself on the field, overthinking everything and all momentum is lost and you lose the game on third and 15. So I don't have any issue with him being a head coach, managing the game, being the offensive coordinator. It's the status quo. If you're burning challenges on plays that have no chance of being successful for you, that's an issue. If you are burning timeouts in the first half when you don't need to, when you can save them for the second half, that's an issue. If you, uh, you know, it's a matter of perspective as to whether or not you go for three points at the end of the half when you're getting the football back to start the second half, or do you go for it because the analytics say when you're this far down inside the score zone, you need to go for it because the CFL in the long run will reward you for going for those things. Like, yes, these are the discussions that make football coaching interesting, but saying that he doesn't need to be the offensive coordinator or that he doesn't deserve to be the head coach, he's just focused on offense or it's just not true. This is the way the modern CFL works, and I think he does as good a job as anybody at balancing those things. So they're 0-6. Uh, they're the 19th team in CFL history going back to 1954 that has started 0-6. Only one of those teams has made the playoffs, the 1969 BC Lions, and they won hmm. their seventh game. Uh, do you think, given what you've seen so far and given the status of the East, this is a team that can become the second? Yeah, I think so. And the reason that I say that is not that I think that Toronto is a a bad football team. They've certainly got it. Like this is the thing that I love about professional football is every time that you think you're getting a quote unquote easy game, there's no such thing. Like you guys know that. So it's I think that they've got an opportunity, especially with the way that the East Division is lying out, where like Toronto and Montreal, they ain't running away with this thing. And like Hamilton's going to be in the picture. And part of the reason the article that you guys mentioned off the top here, too, that I, I feel that and I wrote that was that last year, and I know, AJ, you were there, it was the Hamilton uh, game where Ottawa went on the road late in the season. Doc Hodges got in the game. And I remember looking at the playoff seeding kind of shaking out at that point it was kind of three quarters of the way through the schedule and Ottawa obviously in 2021 was just atrocious and I'm looking at that game and I'm going through the game notes and it's like well the playoff scenarios are here and Ottawa definitely needs some help but they're not out of the playoffs <laughs> I was like what <laughs> like in in a 19 league unless you lose absolutely every game until Labor Day over an 18 game 21 week season by the time that you get to the start or the middle of October you will be alive. You will be there, which, again, I know is no solace to people that are super frustrated because you spend your hard-earned money to go and sit in the stands and, and watch a professional football team that you want to win games. You want to leave with that feeling of winning at the end of the night. Everybody does, like players, coaches, fans involved. So I just feel like, yeah, they, they haven't had success yet, but there's no reason that this team, as currently constituted, can't go on a three-game winning streak. But they have to start with one. And I actually said that to Lapa last week because he was saying, you know, he thought the officials missed a holding call at the end of the game against Hamilton where you end up having Dane Evans complete the pass to Tim White. Uh, you know, Nate Bahar runs the wrong road at the end of the game, one of the smartest guys on the little crossing route, and it would have probably given Ottawa two extra yards, at which point Lewis Ward's field goal is good, and we're not having any of these discussions. So we're very reactionary. That's natural. It's human nature. I think that we always kind of look hindsight 2020 on, well, they didn't win, therefore. But I'm saying they've been really close a bunch of times. And if they start to pull out one or two or three of these, this really isn't an issue. And, and I just, I think it's important to keep things in perspective that, yes, it's an issue right now and they need to overcome it, but they've got a good football team and they have everything in front of them to try and accomplish great things this season. I'm not saying they're going to, run through the East and go undefeated, go to the Grey Cup and shock everybody. What I am saying is 
it's the CFL and crazier things have happened. So keep an open mind. Well, this is maybe the most level-headed Red Blacks conversation we've had in a very <laughs> long time. So I just wanted to end it with something that wasn't as level-headed. I don't know if you're aware of this, Marshall, but as the game was going along, and yes, people were frustrated by the command center uh, coming in and you know overturning a couple of calls at the end of the game. I don't know if you heard this, but we're going to let you hear it just so you, you know how fans were feeling. Fans at the end of the game... <laughs> when they turned over these these two calls, turned around, and yeah. you know what? They, they needed somebody to, to, to yell at. They needed somebody to take out their frustration, and we'll just take you to the end of our broadcast that had A.J. Yeah. Jackie Beck and Brad Sinopoli. I'm the radio guy. I'm the radio guy, buddy. I'm the radio guy. Radio, TSN 1200 radio broadcast. We're the radio. TSN 1200 radio broadcast. Yes, Brad Sinopoli right here. No. All right, here we go. Third down. Third and long at the 24. In the gun. Caleb Evans looks to dump it off. He does. For Nate Bahar. Yeah, and they the didn't 20, make it, but people thought AJ and Brad Sinopoli were the command center, Marshall. Well, they weren't happy. <laughs> my, my, my problem, guys, with this is that if you don't know what Brad Sinopoli looks like, you're not allowed to call yourself an Ottawa Red Black yeah. football fan. Yeah. That, that's the first problem, okay? And the second one is if you don't know what AJ Jacobit looks like, right. you don't deserve to call yourself an Ottawa football fan either. I mean, it's, it's right there. It's part and parcel. They're both legends of the franchise at this point. Like, so exactly. I, I have a real problem with that. But we got the same thing in the television booth. And it's like I'm standing next to Dwayne Ford, and I'm like, wait a minute. If you guys are diehard CFL fans, do you not know? Like, I understand you don't know me. I'm the new guy. Like, I, I'm just – you barely see me 30 seconds on camera once or twice a game. Uh, Dwayne's been doing this for 20 years. We're not the command center. I think you should recognize yeah. who he is. But I – I got a feeling that, uh, yeah, people wanted to have their voice heard and their frustration. And like I said in that article we've been talking about, listen, you pay your money, you're allowed to go boo and cheer and hiss and whatever you want. That's part of being a fan. But I really do feel like, yeah, you look around and there's a lot of people who have no idea what we do, how the process works, who the person is that's making the call on the other side, and it made people really grumpy. But good on you, AJ, for talking directly to them. That's good radio. Right exactly. Like, we get to play that clip over and over, and I think <laughs> one of my favorite parts is that I know Brad's not been doing it for the first time, but AJ's got a headset on, Brad's got a headset on, you and Dwayne Ford have headsets on. You guys look official. I was at the other end of the press box, Marshall, standing in a ball cap and probably a bad wrestling T-shirt, and somebody's yelling at me. And I turned around to them and said, you think I look official enough to make any decisions around here? But I get it with you guys. I understand why they were yelling at you guys. You guys yeah, look very I, official. Um, I, I, I should also say, though, that I think that we are in uh, – we're in suits trying to look pretty for the 30 seconds that we're on television. And the people that are actually in the officials booth, they're all wearing the uniform CFL polos. And if you can't recognize the difference between those two things, <laughs> you've probably enjoyed the concessions throughout the year. Uh, that's, that's probably right. Uh, Marshall, this has been terrific. Hope we can get you on uh, on a more regular basis to talk about how positive this 0-6 Red Blacks team is. <laughs> Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hey, I'll just, I'll say this on the way out, just the big picture thinking I think is, is what people have to lean on in this. You're allowed to be frustrated. That's okay. But 
do not lose the faith. You've got an excellent coaching staff, and they deserve every opportunity. If it gets to the point where it's ridiculous, then, yeah, things are going to change there in Ottawa, but I don't think we're there as of yet. Marshall Ferguson, TSN, CFL.ca. Always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks, Marsh. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.